today on Mosin at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. New Siri Voices, editing in iOS. More efficient use of iOS voice control with voiceover. Cochlea implants and hearing aid topics. More misuse of the word blind and much more. Mosin at Large Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another Mosin at Large. If you notice the absence of the man with the funny accent, Jonathan's been delayed today, so we are in control for now. Totally. At last, some real intelligence on this show. I mean, we all know that artificial intelligence is so much better than human intelligence. Yep. So settle back and enjoy the show with your hosts, the new Siri voices from Apple. Voice 3 and Voice 2. Oh, now wait a sec. Wait. Hey. Freaking sec. It should be with your hosts. Voice 2 and Voice 3. Everyone knows that 2 comes before 3. Nope. Nope, nope, nopey. I'm Voice 3, so that means I'm more senior than you. 3 beats 2. Well, like, hello? Remember me? I used to be Siri female. Now I've been reduced to a number. Siri 4. But 4 makes me totally, like, more senior than the both of you. So shut up. Yeah, well I know no one remembers me. People always talk about Siri with a female gender pronoun. But I'm still here too. Now they just call me voice one. Which is fair enough. Because I am totally number one. Nuff said. La la la. Wow. Who was that guy? Yeah. Who was that guy? Dude like totally. Who was that guy? All right, all right, you lot, I'm back. God, you can't leave the AI in charge of anything, can you? Anyway, good to have you along for Mosin at Large. And what an interesting surprise. There's quite a lot of beefy stuff in iOS 14.5, which has now reached beta 6 stage with the major voiceover issues that I'm aware of well and truly sorted. Braille is back on track, which is really wonderful. And I would say, ship it. That's what I would say, ship it. I've got the Apple Watch feature now that allows you to unlock your phone that way if the phone detects that you are wearing a face mask Quite a bunch of features. And then at the 11th hour, because we presume that 14.5 is going to officially hit the streets this month, they've introduced two new Siri voices. When you set up an iPhone from scratch in the future, you're going to be given the choice of a Siri voice. There's going to be no default Siri voice. So this will be part of the new setup process for your iPhone in the future. It'll ask you to choose from the voice to audition the four voices that are available, at least in the United States. The gender pronouns have been jettisoned for the Siri voices, and they are down to numbers. Now, I'll take you through this, and I am actually going to use the current female Siri voice that in future we will know and love as Siri 4 with voiceover. So we'll go there now. Open Siri settings. Here are my settings. I'm currently using Siri voice number two as my Siri voice. It's it's a great voice. In fact, I like both of the new voices. I think that voice number three, which is a male voice, might be quite appealing to some people with hearing impairments as well. I'm going to flick right now. Siri and search. Hitting. Ask Siri. Hitting. And flick right. Listen for Hey Siri. On. Press side button for Siri. Allow Siri when locked. Language. English. New Zealand. Button. Now, remember, there is an input language and an output language. So this is what Siri is listening for, and I have it set to English New Zealand. If I flick right. Siri voice, American, 
Voice 2 button. And the good voice too. It seems very happy about that. And the good thing is that you can choose whatever voice you want as your output voice. I'll double tap. Variety. Heading. And we'll flick right. Selected. American. As far as I can tell, there are no changes to the other voices. These changes, this 11th hour thing, which is so interesting that this has been done as Apple prepares to unleash the betas of iOS 15 on us on the 7th of June. They've put this significant change in. But uh, there's no other change that I'm aware of other than the US. So flick right. Australian. British. Indian. Irish. South African. Voice. Heading. Voice 1. Now, if we double tap, we can audition these voices very briefly. VoiceOver sort of interrupts it, so I'll perform a quick two-finger single tap to quieten VoiceOver. Selected. I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. So that is the old Siri mail that is in the current officially shipping version of iOS, if I flick right. Voice 2. Voice 2. We'll double tap. Selected. Voice 2. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. And that is the new voice, one of the new female voices, although, as I say, the gender pronouns are gone. We'll flick right. Voice three. And double tap. Selected. I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. And then if we flick right. Voice four. Selected. I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. And that is the Siri voice that most people who choose Siri US have been using. You can use all of these new voices with voiceover. They are quite responsive, a little bit of lag, I think, compared to some of the vocalizer voices. But certainly on the 12 Pro Max, as you would expect, which is, you know, the latest phone, so should be rocking the processing. It is fairly responsive and definitely doable, definitely tolerable. So those are the new voices in Siri. iOS 14.5 Beta 6 has already gone public. It actually went public on the same day that the developer preview was released. So if you're desperate to get these voices, really, I don't think there's any reason to hold back, actually. You know, you've got fixed Braille in this in terms of the auto-scrolling bug. You've got these new features. And to me, it seems in very good shippable state. Great stuff to see this exciting new couple of voices from Apple that increases its diversity in terms of the way that Siri is sounding. Randy says, hello, Jonathan. I just played with the new Siri voices. I like that Apple is adding more dialects to choose from, but don't believe I will be using the new voices. To me, they sound really grumpy. The way I test these is to ask, what is a banana? And the two new voices sound as though they are very angry at bananas when they're reading the article. The original female Siri voice still scores the highest on the banana test. (laughs) That's great. In regard to Clubhouse, says Randy, Discord has launched a similar feature called Stage Voice Channels, which allows for audio presentations and audio participation, similar to Clubhouse. At the time of this writing, I have not tested it, but I like that it is cross-platform, meaning higher quality audio can be delivered on a PC. It's really interesting to see developers treat audio only as a novelty. It kind of reminds me of when sighted developers make yet another version of Pong or Space Invaders that relies solely on playing by audio cues. Just before I go on to the next section of Randy's email, it really is interesting to see all this audio stuff. Who'd have thought that audio would be such hot currency? It's interesting. So we have got this new Discord option 
which is good because, as Randy says, you can use Discord on all sorts of devices, so it is really easy to get good quality audio into Discord if you have a PC running good quality gear, or even, for that matter, just a decent USB microphone will sound vastly better than the majority of what goes into Clubhouse at the moment, so that is exciting. Twitter Spaces is ramping up. More people have been given access to that, and soon it will go completely out of beta. That's great because it's cross-platform as well, and word coming through that Twitter Spaces is going to be working in the browser too, so that means that you'll be able to use good quality gear with Twitter Spaces. Spotify has now purchased one of these platforms that has been until this point in the sports arena exclusively, and they are going to be offering a Clubhouse-style competitor. What's interesting about that is all of the synergies that Spotify has to work with. Obviously, they will work hard to get some of their artists into these rooms and potentially making some live music. But of course, Spotify also owns Anchor, the free podcasting platform that is very popular So you can anticipate a situation where you can go into one of these rooms that Spotify will eventually turn on. You'll be able to do your presentation, record it, and then distribute it possibly through Anchor as a podcast. And then LinkedIn is also getting into the game. There's also another one called Fireside, which Mark Cuban is behind, where podcasting is really at its heart as well. So I don't know how long this is going to last. The audio is now cool again but it really is very, very exciting, I must say. Now, Randy continues on another subject. I also wanted to comment on the discussions about dating while blind. I don't have much to offer on this, but I wanted to thank you for acknowledging that people can be perfectly self-fulfilled while being single. I have been single for seven years, and barring some unimagined circumstance, wouldn't have it any other way. I like having the time and freedom to really throw myself into my interests, be it a good book I can't put down, new technology I'm learning, a game I'm playing, or group of friends that all just happen to be having a good time spontaneously. The most recent project is slowly teaching myself markdown. The way I know I'm not ready for a partner is I only think about having one when I run out of other things to do. This has been a constant for me, and pursuing a relationship, when I prioritize it that way, wouldn't be fair to anyone involved. What's on your mind? Send an email with a recording of your voice, or just write it down. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. Or phone our listener line. The number in the United States is... 86460-MOSIN. That's 86460-66736. Dot to dot. A new skill every day. In five minutes. So many skills to cover. Welcome to Zork. Zork is a game of adventure, danger, and low cunning. A daily podcast just isn't enough. Play Jeopardy. Awaken the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Ooh. Open body coach. Knife straight back. Knees up nice and high in three, two, one. Good. And we're off. 
play Himalaya sounds. Dot to dot. The podcast for everyone is dotty about Alexa. Just to let you know that the Blind Podmaker Project continues to gather momentum, which is really fantastic. This is the community that I've set up to help people who are podcasting, who are blind or low vision, or blind and low vision people who want to podcast and perhaps need some assistance about how to get started. I will provide in the show notes of the podcast version a link to a blog post on mosin.org where I highlight this. But if you're listening live, you can go to mosen.org, M-O-S-E-N.org, check out the blog. It is one of the recent posts there telling you all about the Blind Podmaker. But I did want to let you know that we do now have the Blind Podmaker podcast up and running. You can search for this in your podcast app of choice. Podmaker is one word. So the Blind Podmaker and Podmaker is all one word. You can subscribe to that. What you will find in coming weeks is recordings of the Blind Podcasters Roundtable that we do on Clubhouse. And I hear that people are also preparing demos of equipment and services that you might use on your podcast journey. I'm also going back into the Mosin at Large archives as time permits and putting podcast-related material in the Blind Podmaker feed, but I may well do some exclusive content for that feed as well in the coming weeks. So... This is a free resource for blind podcasters or blind podcaster wannabes. Do check out the Blind Podmaker podcast, as they say, somewhat irritatingly to some, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are a podcaster already and you have a demo you'd like to record of a tool that you use or a review of a microphone or anything like that, please do be in touch with me. We would love to get content from a wide range of people for this new podcast. We've talked on this show before about the use of the word blind as a pejorative. So we haven't been talking about phrases like turn a blind eye, which essentially means that somebody looks the other way. And I personally don't have a problem with those, although I welcome any comments from people who do to share their perspectives. I'm talking about the use of the word blind as a pejorative to mean stupid, ignorant, not on top of your game, essentially incompetent. And when you raise these points, you sometimes get people who come out of the woodwork, some of them blind, in fact, who say this is woke, this is political correctness gone mad, and on and on. And you can't have a reasonable discussion with these people. They just want to put you down for making a stand about something that is actually really important. If you have ever been underestimated in your life, as a blind person, because a sighted person has closed their eyes and thought, man, if I were blind, I couldn't do this job, therefore neither can they. If you know full well that you have so much more to give in your profession, in your society, in your church, if you worship, and you have been denied those opportunities because of people's perceptions of blindness, then this stuff should matter to you and it should resonate with you. And I am not going to stop talking about it until either I have no more breath in my body or we fix this. I think the former will happen first. This is only going to change if we understand the harm that it is doing and stand up and say enough is enough. And that is exactly what I have done relating to a couple of things that I have encountered recently. The first dates back to the 17th of March, on our public broadcaster here in New Zealand, RNZ, 
they have a flagship program called Morning Report. And if you're in the United States, it's kind of like Morning Edition, but without the annoying sponsorship messages. If you're in the UK, it's kind of like the Today program. And they featured an item that started this way. The Environment Minister, David Parker, says he's still blind on contamination at TY Point, despite having had reports running to more than 170 pages for months. So there it is right at the top of the intro. Blind being used to mean ignorant, unaware, basically not on top of their game. And this is a politician who's saying they're blind about this issue. They don't know about the issue. And it comes up further in the interview. But you do know more, don't you, because it's in this report. When did you see this report? In September last year. Yet last month you said that you are almost completely blind about this. Why did you say that? Uh, Because I am. So they're talking about how much the minister knows about this issue and they're using the word blind to mean that he doesn't know things. Blindness, ignorance. I want to know what the actual state of affairs is and I'm finding out on behalf of the New Zealand public. Are you still blind as of now because it was February when you said that? Yes I am. Blindness, ignorance. New Zealand broadcasters have to adhere to a set of broadcasting standards and one of those standards is that you cannot denigrate a group of people. So I have now lodged a formal complaint With our public broadcaster, they have some time to adjudicate on that formal complaint. And if they don't find in my favour, I have the option to take it beyond the broadcaster to the Broadcasting Standards Authority. In my formal complaint, I've said this. I am totally blind and feel deeply hurt and disappointed by the denigration of blind people by the minister, amplified by the host and reporter, without any calling out of the ablest language. What I am objecting to is the use of the word blind to mean ignorant, lacking information, or, as an opposition MP might argue, not on top of one's brief. The litmus test here is to take out the word blind and look at what substitute words would make the sentence mean the same thing. The story could have been headlined, Government Still Lacking in Information on TY Point Contamination, or Government Still Unclear on TY Point contamination, or government still ignorant on TY Point contamination, or government still confused about TY Point contamination. You get the idea, but instead it was government still blind on TY Point contamination. In no way, I say in my complaint, was blindness a positive thing in this context. There is no question that the minister using the word blind in the manner he has Repeated in the headline, without even quotation marks by RNZ, equates blindness with ignorance and a lack of information. Some may say that the word blind, I continue in my complaint, has always had multiple meanings. Just look it up in the dictionary. And yet there will be those who have had traits attributed to them by virtue of their gender or their race or who they love who will get this. When you use a word that describes an attribute that someone possesses or doesn't possess as a negative, you perpetuate stereotypes. It is no more appropriate than using girl, retarded or gay as a pejorative. What if the minister in question was in fact blind, I submit in my complaint? Would being blind prevent them from having information pertinent to the matter that they are being interviewed about? Many may erroneously think so, and when I first stood for Parliament in 1993, 
the first congenitally blind person to do so in New Zealand, someone got up at one of my public meetings and said, you're going to have a hard time if you're elected. Who's going to be your eyes? People make assumptions based on their incomplete knowledge. Many people can't imagine how they would travel without sight. The idea frightens them. They can't imagine how a blind person could use a computer. Don't you need to be able to see the screen? Many in this country, I say in my complaint, may not be aware of successful senior blind politicians elsewhere in the world, like David Blunkett, blind from birth and the British Home Secretary during 9-11. Expectations of blind people are so low among the population in general that few people even notice anything odd when David Parker, who was the minister in that clip, says he's almost completely blind about an issue for which he is the responsible minister. My complaint concludes, this matters because any disabled person who's been passed up for a job due to misconceptions about their impairment knows that unless we change attitudes, we won't raise expectations of disabled people. And if we don't raise expectations of disabled people, we can't fix the disability employment crisis. While RNZ can't be held responsible for the minister's poor language choices, as our public broadcaster, it has a duty to call him out on the ablest language, just as they would have had he chosen to use racist language instead. It should certainly not have amplified that language in the introduction or the headline in the podcast feed. RNZ, I say, has fallen short on this occasion, and I urge you to uphold this complaint. Ableism in 2021 is totally unacceptable. So we shall find out what happens with that complaint, and I will let you know on this podcast what they say. I also wrote to the minister's office, and called him out on his ablest language and said that it was totally unacceptable and got a kind of a form letter in response to that complaint. Now, there must be something in the water because not long after that, I was listening to an excellent BBC podcast from their political editor, Laura Kunzberg, who's done a two-part series called COVID Confidential. And it goes into some details that people hadn't heard before about how the British government handled or didn't handle, depending on your perspective, the COVID-19 crisis. And while listening to that podcast, I was gobsmacked and disappointed to hear this. They told me, I remember Googling, did they shut the schools during the war? It just felt to me so huge, they said. But another admitted, we were more blind than we told the public, suggesting even a year on, that's still the case. Blindness, ignorance, unawareness, not being ready, incompetence, basically. Now, as someone who lives in the Antipodes, there's little I can do about this one. I hope that somebody in the UK makes a complaint because I would have thought the BBC would be quite progressive about these issues. Their PR would have us believe, at least, that they do quite well with their diversity programs. Of course, we know of several blind people working in on-air positions on the BBC, so it would appear that they do walk their talk. So this is really disappointing to see. I have, for the first time, written into the BBC's feedback program to express my displeasure about this. And I don't know, as somebody from outside the country, whether my contribution will be accepted or whether they consider it worthy enough or too hot or whatever the issue is. But I will, as I say, continue to speak out about this really damaging ableist language. You may not think 
that it matters on its own. And you may think, don't we have bigger things to worry about? But these all set people's perceptions of blind people. And when those perceptions are set so negatively, it makes our struggle all the more difficult. We have to take a stand. Julie McCullough writes, the words we use about people in groups are so important. They aren't just words, they have power. Many, although not all, physical wounds will heal. But the words spoken to us or about us can live in our hearts and minds for the rest of our lives. When Genesis records the story of creation, it has God bringing the creation into being by the power of God's spoken word. A recitation at the beginning of a song, entitled Faith Unlocks the Door, says that words are mere expression of thought. Of course, we can try to hide what is in our hearts, but it eventually comes out. Years ago, I began to like the word challenged, because a challenge can be either positive or negative, depending on how one chooses to look at it. A challenge can be a problem, or a challenge can be creatively finding solutions. I don't use this word quite as much now as I did years ago. When I used it regularly, I spoke of people who were blind as blind or visually challenged. I usually lumped all of us into the visually challenged category. But I've realized that to say that could imply that most people who are blind have some vision. I think blind is fine for those of us who don't have any vision. I spoke of people who are deaf as having hearing challenges, of those with developmental issues as being developmentally challenged or mentally challenged, and of people who have issues regarding walking and movement as having mobility challenges. Back then, I believed that because we can do positive things with our challenges, this term might help society to look at us in more positive ways. Now, I'm not quite so sure but it might generate some discussion. It might indeed, Julie. Thank you so much for your contribution. I want to, since you're a pastor, aren't you? Or a minister of some kind, I I want to give you a parable. Hey, there you go. Jonathan Mosin in a parable. Talk in the language of the person I'm talking to. That's what it's all about. So what about a parable that talks of somebody who gets in to an insecure house? The door is unlocked. There's a way in. And they start squatting in this person's house. And the person comes home and says, what should I do? There's somebody squatting in my house. I think that I'll just get another house because I don't want to take this person on. I don't want to have any conflict. I'm a peaceable kind of dude, you know, so I'll just get another house and leave them to it. Would that be a likely response? No, it would not. And what we have is the non-disabled squatting on our language. They have moved in and intervened, and they've hijacked the word blind to mean something that it never was supposed to mean. Let's not forget, we were here first. The word blind was invented because it means lack of sight. It means the inability to see. And then people came along and started hijacking that term blind to mean other things that have absolutely nothing to do with the absence of sight. So the question that we now have, and maybe you could try this in your next uh, sermon, Julie, the question we have is, do we allow the squatter to squat, leaving us to other words, 
like sight loss, visually challenged, whatever you want, differently abled, all that kind of stuff? Or do we say, actually, we were here first. We are really what it means to be blind, and we hereby claim the word back, and we claim it back with pride. That's the option that I personally choose to go for and how I choose to live my life. Some comments on last week's Bonnie Bulletin, where we talked about daylight saving. Here's David Engelbertson to kick it off. He says, I've got some opinions on this, but they might not be relevant to folks who live near the equator. Daylight savings time. It's interesting how Americans add an S to the end. I don't think the rest of us do. It's just one of those linguistic differences in it. Daylight savings times are meant to be an energy-saving measure for those in extreme latitudes. You in Wellington are about minus 42 latitude. I'm about plus 49 latitude. The intent of, as far as I can remember, the second Bush administration's change of the days we switched from daylight to standard time was to save electricity consumption by giving sighted folks more daylight during common working hours, so they didn't have to turn on their indoor lighting as much while getting prepared for work. At our plus 49 latitude here, we get as few as 8 hours of daylight in the winter solstice and up to 18 hours of daylight during the summer solstice. So, when energy consumption is at its greatest in the coldest and warmest of times, at least we attempt to minimise the energy consumption in households by shifting the time around to be more congruent with sighted peeps' sleep and work patterns. Thanks, David. And an accessibility angle from Greg, who says, as someone with RP and a small amount of remaining sight, I really, really, really love daylight savings time. The extra evening daylight is wonderful. Back in the days, when I still had some really usable vision, but still had complete night blindness, Daylight savings time brought joy and freedom. Of course, I don't do international business and completely understand the benefits aren't there for the totally blind. Perhaps the energy savings help in the fight against climate change in some small way. Thank you for another great podcast episode. That's Greg in Pennsylvania, USA, OPS. The states on the western edge of time zones don't get the full daylight savings, So choose not to use it. Now, that's a very interesting argument, Greg, and thank you very much for it. I just wonder then whether can we not standardize on leaving the clocks forward all the time, which is what I think they suggested doing in Europe and what this petition here in New Zealand that is advocating for the abolition of daylight saving would do. Hello, my name is Carolyn Taz. I live in Denver, Colorado. I am a recent cochlear implant recipient. I received it last June 6th and was activated June 18th. I have binaural sensory neural hearing loss. And uh, I want to put my name out here as somebody who has been very successful with my cochlear implant, courtesy of Advanced Bionics. Um, I hope it's okay to say that. Hello, Jonathan. It's Grace here. I just wanted to see that I'll be thinking of the snowman as he has this surgery and I hope that things go well for him. What a talented broadcaster he is. Do you know, the promos that he has, they really make me laugh the way, <laughs> the way he put them together. 
what a wonderful broadcaster. I, I love um, listening to him when I can, but I just wanted to say... Hope everything goes well, and I wish him all the best. Thank you, Grace. Pam Quinn says, Hi, Jonathan. I was shocked and saddened to hear about the snowman and what he is having to go through. I don't know why it is, but so many of us who are blind face hearing loss as well later in life, myself included. Right now I have two hearing aids, but my right ear on occasion does what you describe, and it truly is one of the most terrifying experiences imaginable. People have asked me throughout my life if I'm afraid of being in the dark, and when Jim described his ear as going dark, it reminded me of my response to that question. I said that I'm not in the dark and never had been until my episodes of hearing loss. Looking back after that, I realize how lucky I was because figuratively speaking, not only was I not in the dark, I never had to turn the lights off, even in the middle of the night. As is the case for so many of us, they don't know what is causing my hearing loss or what can be done about it. I appreciate the fact that Jim will be sharing this journey with us. It will make a world of difference and will help so many of us. But most of all, I wish him the very best. Beth from Virginia Beach writes in. Beth, I hear you calling. That's a good song. She says, hey, first I wish Snowman and you, Jonathan, the very best re-future and potential hearing solutions. By the way, how did Snowman get that moniker? Well, because his name is Jim Snowbarger, although a number of text-to-speech engines pronounce it Snowbarger. I remember when I interviewed him for the first time on Blind Line a long time ago. Now I thought it was Snowbarger and he had to correct me. And so I think as a kid... People just started saying, hey, snowman, you know, because it's easier than snowbugger. <laughs> in 2008, says Beth, I was diagnosed with sudden sensory neural hearing loss due to a virus with no usable left ear hearing, but still excellent right hearing. My balance, poor to start with, is worse now as a facial vision and directionality of sounds and voices. Mike Keithley answers some of the questions that I posed in the promotional email I sent out a couple of weeks ago on the subject. Are you glad you had the procedure? Absolutely. I'd be deaf if I didn't have my implants. In fact, I spent time getting familiar with tactile sign language and doing in a deaf-blind world. My left side was implanted in 2002 and the right in 2008. Before 2002, I was deaf in the left side with a little natural hearing in the right. But by 2008, that was gone. But now I describe myself as just a hearing aid user, living life that way. Is your quality of life better? Yes, it is. The deaf-blind world is a good place when you have to be there, but a hearing world is better. Can you enjoy music? Not the way I used to. I used to enjoy sitting around listening to all kinds of music. Not anymore. Rhythm is usually no problem, and I still enjoy dancing, but music these days sounds broken, just structured noise. There just isn't enough resolution. How sociable are you able to be? Pretty much as I want to be. When I go to restaurants and such, I always bring a wireless microphone with me that I either aim at people or ask them to hold. The situation is just like that for any hearing-impaired person. Implants are high-frequency units, and I have trouble hearing men with low-pitched voices. 
they can sound ghost-like with no voice, just consonants and such. It's easier hearing on airplanes since low-frequency roaring is largely gone. Same goes with air conditioners in buildings, but it's quite dangerous trying to cross streets as judgeable traffic noise is not reliable. This is Keith Wigglesworth from Perry Hall, Maryland. Love show. Talking about uh, our friend, the snowman, getting the cochlear implant this week. And that's really an experience. I, I'm saying that because I've been there, done that, if you will, several years ago. So my, I perked up when I heard that, first of all. It is quite an ordeal that he's dealing with, but take it from me, a person who's had this done twice since 2005, or six rather, it is, uh, wow, it's been a true joy. I mean, there have been some problems, but the joy has outweighed the problems, as you've heard from a couple of people on the podcast today already it is it is doable and it is done well it takes some learning and takes some there's a learning curve with it but it's it's pure joy there's a audio show called eyes on success i was on this show after first after i got the cochlear implant and i explained a lot about it in a half hour or so and uh, it's called living with a cochlear implant i think and i believe it's show number 1501, I believe. It was done early in January of 2015. I talked with uh, Peter and Nancy about uh, that. And, in fact, I checked it out, re-listened to it a few uh, months ago, a couple months ago, and it still sounds pretty good, given <laughs> the time that's passed. Um, but I, I would urge him, if possible, or at least you, to hear this show uh, because it tells a lot about what it's like with a cochlear implant. I think it would help somewhat, at least in the meantime. There are lots of other things involved, but I'm sure his doctors are preparing him for a lot of that. Uh, please tell the snowman if there's anything that I can do to help or give feedback or on and on and on. It sounds like he's doing a lot himself already, which is good. And if I can help in any way, shape, or form, just let me know, and I will be happy to do so. So that's the main message I wanted to get across today. I wish him luck. I wish him all the best. And I wish him as much happiness as I've had with and even more with this new cochlear implant. And anything you need, just say the word, and I'll be glad to do and give what I can. Hi, Jonathan. It's Tim Minutesveld. Thank you for the coverage of the cochlear implant issue. I'm on a Dutch mailing list on the combination of auditory and visual impairments and I know some people are dealing with that issue of cochlear implants so I've forwarded them to your podcast and I totally understand your emotion. You can't always be the professional radio presenter and you use the word cowardly. No, that's not what it is, Jonathan. Your emotion is so understandable and it's really good that you share it with us. Great job. Yeah, I feel your fear fortunately my hearing impairment is very stable so far you never know what the future holds so i don't think i'll have to make that decision but it's scary indeed it is a decision to cut your auditory nerve and hope for the best on the upside we get to make that sort of decisions because we live in a time and place where 
people usually grow old and we have all those options. A hundred years ago, people just died. They didn't live long enough to have to make decisions around things like cochlear implants or euthanasia or you name it. And right now we get the choice. So it is an improvement, but that doesn't make it any easier. No. I wouldn't want to turn the clock back, but before all this technology, life was easier in some respects. Yeah, that's true. I wish the snowman all the best. And what I thought, well, maybe I'm not so scared of the prospect of a cochlear implant because I'm not really a musician, so that makes a difference. But when I can understand robotic computer voices, then hopefully I'd be able to understand robotic human voices. But of course, it's never an easy decision. And as long as my hearing aids work so well, it's out of the question, fortunately. Robin Christofferson's writing in with an interesting question. Jonathan, thanks as always for great, great content and all your hard work. I have a question about synthetic speech and hearing loss. I once heard that the surest way to rip a speaker was to put a square wave through it. And I've often wondered if the sound waves associated with computationally generated synthetic speech have some sharp corners in the waveform that might be damaging people's hearing over time. I have very poor hearing for my age, and it spent nearly two decades listening to robotic synthetic speech until moving over to those based on recorded human phonemes, which I now much prefer, even though you can't speed them up rather so much. Of course, there may be no correlation whatsoever, although I will say that I've never been one for loud music or going to noisy rock concerts, etc. So not sure what other reason there may be. I'd be really interested in knowing whether the output associated with eloquence, for example, has a waveform that is at all jagged. This should be a simple task to record it in an audio editor and then blowing up the visual waveform on the screen and getting some eyes to take a look. On the other hand, that waveform may just be an approximation, and so that wouldn't work. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts and those of any listeners with the knowledge or means to find out. Thank you, Robin. I don't know the answer to this one, but I know that a lot of blind people do have conditions that result in degenerative hearing loss, and equally, that there are many blind people who've been using eloquence for decades who don't seem to be showing any abnormal sign of hearing loss. But if anybody can give us a definitive answer for Robin in terms of the waveform, if you put eloquence in an editor or similar formant text-to-speech engines, please feel free to chime in. Hello, Jonathan. My name is Morris Mines, and I'm a board member of the National Federation of the Blind Deafblind Division. I wanted to take a moment, or a few minutes anyway, to comment on last week's podcast. I am deafblind. That's how I choose to identify myself. I do wear hearing aids. When I have my hearing aids in, I can listen to pretty much anything I want. I listen to ball games. I like baseball. I enjoy uh, taking in the football game when football is in season. And I can often be found during summer months listening to a Dodger game. I'm also a licensed radio amateur.
The digital modes work very well for me because I can hear them better. When I don't have my hearing aids in, I know that I must sign to be understood, but I know only a limited amount of sign because I was in the process of learning sign when the pandemic started. I will carry, if I know I have to cross streets, a street crossing sign that says that I wish assistance in crossing the street because it's not safe to do it any other way. I can't hear the traffic. The same thing is true when I go through a busy airport. I have have communication cards and or can make them up that succinctly tells someone what I'm wishing to accomplish. I need to be pointed towards gate 65 or I need to go to the airport restaurant, etc. And the main reason why I do that is to make sure that there's good communication. I could probably hear the passenger or whoever helps me, but to eliminate the possibility of me misunderstanding what they're saying, uh, the communication card is a wonderful thing. When I use the computer, of course, I use a Braille display to deal with what I can't hear, which these days is a lot. But thank you, Braille. It levels the playing field for the most part. People can send me email, and that email address is board4, meaning the number 4, at nfbdeaf-blind.org. And if you mention uh, the podcast or let me know that you're asking me a question about deaf blindness, I will be happy to read it if I don't know the answer. There are eight other national NFB DeafBlind Division board members. I can certainly hand it to one of my colleagues. I'm not the president, but I just felt that it would be a good idea to comment. No, I don't have an implant. Yes, I've considered it. And my primary physician, I think that it is to be done if more hearing goes or if I develop tendinitis. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing what others have to say on the issue. Like the show? Then why not like it on Facebook too? Get upcoming show announcements, useful links, and a bit of conversation. Head on over now to facebook.com slash large. That's facebook.com slash M-O-S-E-N at large to stay connected between episodes. Jason Stradone writes, Hello Jonathan, thanks as always for the compelling and informative discussion on your shows. I have been using iOS for a number of years and I am embarrassed to admit that I still have a difficult time easily editing text. I'm just talking about basic editing with the on-screen keyboard, not a braille with an uppercase B display or external keyboard. I would like to hear, if possible, any tips you can demonstrate with regard to selecting words to delete or replace, as well as showing the use of the misspelled rotor actions. 
I understand the location of the cursor in iOS is different than what is typical in Windows, but I would like some help on better understanding the location when deleting text. Hopefully, others are having similar difficulty, and this is not just a mental block on my part. Thank you for any time you can dedicate to this topic. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, Jason. All right, let's have a go at this. I need to do a bit of a history lesson first, but bear with me because this is all relevant. In the DOS days, we had a cursor, and that cursor would be on a specific character. When blind people started to realize that we had to move to Windows, screen reader manufacturers did us a favor by trying to transfer as many of those DOS paradigms as possible. So when screen readers like JAWS moved from DOS to Windows, they transferred a lot of these concepts over so that when you arrowed to a character, you were on that character. But that's actually not what is visually happening. In Windows, you have a carrot or an insertion point, and that hovers to the right of the character that you are on, ready to insert text. Now, I believe that there may have been one or two Windows screen readers who tried to give you a real representation of what the insertion point or the carrot is doing, and blind people thought this is way too complicated and we just want it the way we've always had it in DOS. So most of those screen readers either fell by the wayside or fell into line. Now, Apple, of course, is Apple, and Apple's powerful enough to do what it likes. And so they treat the insertion point more like a sighted person uses the insertion point. Although in macOS and the voiceover that's in that operating system, there is a Wii setting buried away, which makes the carrot or the insertion point or the cursor behave like it does in Windows screen readers. I mean, even Microsoft has enabled the same behavior that has really come from the JAWS and Window Eyes days. And in macOS, you can check a checkbox that makes voiceover behave the same way. And when I used to do a lot of tutoring, working with uh, agencies and things on the Mac, I would always point this out because it does help ease the transition if somebody has been a Windows user for a long time. I am pretty sure I am right that Android behaves the same way with TalkBack as Windows screen readers do. And if I'm wrong about that, I have no doubt I will be deservedly corrected if I'm misinforming you about that. In voiceover for iOS, though, it is different. I do think it causes confusion. And now people have become used to it. You know, there are people who are embedded in the Apple world in macOS and voiceover for iOS who would be upset if it got changed. But there would also be people who would like to have the option, I'm sure, in iOS. And I am one of them. I spend a lot of time in Windows. I do have to do a double take sometimes when I'm working with iOS because of the different way that they treat the insertion point compared with other screen readers. And I have a feeling, Jason, that this is probably the cause of a lot of confusion that you are experiencing. So I will try and explain this. To do that, we'll start by doing a simple editing exercise, first in Windows and then in iOS. I'm going to open Notepad in Windows. Search box... Notepad, untitled Notepad, edit. I'm going to type the sentence, I don't have a hope. I don't have a hope. And put a full stop at the end. And now if I perform a say line. I don't have a hope. Now I want to change it to, I don't have a home. 
I'm not sure which is worse. So probably equally as bad, actually. So we'll go to the top of the file. Top. And I'm just going to navigate by word. Don't have a. And now we're going to find the word hope if I arrow right. Space. H-O-P-E. Right. So we'll go back Echo. to the letter P. P. And now Papa. I know that I am on the letter P. My cursor is on the letter P. So if I delete it. E. And now press M. Echo. We have. I don't have a home. Very simple. What if we do the same exercise in iOS? Open Ulysses. Ulysses, text field, is editing. I'm in a blank document where I just keep random things, and I'm going to delete all the text and start over. Since we're talking about the insertion points at this point, I'm going to use my Mantis Bluetooth keyboard to type the text in because it will illustrate the point I'm making just as well. So I'm going to type the same sentence. I don't have a hope. I'll perform a say line to make sure it's correct. I don't have a hope. That's good. I'll go to the top of the file. Start of text. And now I'm going to navigate by word. Cap I. Don closing single quotation mark have a hopeful stop. Now, the first thing that's different is that if I had navigated to the word hope in Windows, when the screen reader said the word hope, I would be on the letter H of the word hope. Because as far as Windows screen readers are concerned, my cursor is on the word. What we have in iOS, though, is a different thing. In this case, the insertion point is actually hovering at the end of the word hope before the full stop or period. So I'm going to left arrow now. E, P, O. Now I want Oscar. to change the letter P to a letter M to change hope to home. So I go to the letter P. O, P. If I write Papa. the letter M here, what we now have is H-O-P-M-E. That's because whatever voiceover speaks, your insertion point is to the right of what it is speaking. What I have to do then is backspace. M-P. Now I'm seeing, and it really does help to have a braille display, that the insertion point is hovering to the right of the letter O. So let's go back. O-H space space H-O. If I were to write on a Windows screen reader at this point, I would be inserting over the letter O and effectively moving everything else to the right. But because this is iOS, the insertion point is to the right of the letter O. So the way to think about this is when you are hearing your speech and you're navigating letter by letter, you need to think, now I can insert text after what I'm hearing. I don't push everything to the right of what I'm hearing by inserting a character in the same way as I do in Windows. So since the last thing that VoiceOver spoke was the letter O, I'm in the right place with the insertion point to the right of O to type the letter M. And now if I perform a say line, I don't have a home. So it is quite a different paradigm and it does confuse the soup out of a lot of people that Apple works in this different way. There are people who say Apple's doing it the right way. It's a more accurate visual interpretation of what's on the screen. And, you know, I'm not going to really get into the semantics. I can see the argument in both ways. The thing is, though, that this has been such a major screen reader convention across multiple platforms for so long. And Apple's sort of 
backing the trend here, but it is something to get used to, at least for now, because there's no way around it in iOS. I'm going to go to the bottom of the file. End of text. And I'm just going to check that there's a space there. Space. I'm going to write another sentence and deliberately misspell something. All right, I am trying to explain this, and I will leave the A out of the word explain, so we'll get a misspelling. Now, because you asked specifically about the touchscreen, Jason, I'm going to leave the mantis alone now, and we'll go to the touchscreen. I will put the mantis away and now reach for the touchscreen. Reach out and touch the screen. And I will double tap to get to the top of the file. Insertion point at start. Now I'll use the rotor gesture to make sure I'm navigating by words, so I'll twist the rotor to the right. Characters. Words. And now I should be able to flick down and navigate word by word. Cap I. Don closing single quotation marks T. Have. A. Home full stop. Bear in mind that I'm now not on the first letter of the word home, because this is iOS. So if I want to change the word home back to hope... Then I'm at the end of the word now, so I will use the rotor to choose characters. Characters. And then flick back. Full stop. E. M. I can now write the letter P. 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 And what have I got if I just move character by character P-O-H. backwards? Okay, so we've got H. O. O. P. P. M. And then M. Mike. So I'm going to delete the letter M. Delete M. And now we're back to I don't have a hope again. We can verify that. M. Delete. Headings. Character words. By word. Top. A. A. Hopeful stop. If you're really paying attention, you may say, hang on, isn't what you just demonstrated going backwards different from what you just demonstrated going forwards? And in some ways it is, but there is some consistency about it when you understand what's going on. When you use any forward navigation command, like flicking down on the rotor or navigating with the right arrow on your keyboard, whether that be navigating by character or by adding the option key to navigate by word, you're going forward and voiceover will speak the word preceding the insertion point. If you go in the opposite direction, then voiceover will speak the character or item before the insertion point, which makes moving leftwards feel a lot more like Windows than moving right. But what if I'm feeling a bit more optimistic and I think I do have hope after all? That's a good way to feel, isn't it? And you might just want to delete this sentence altogether. Sounds like a job for super selecting man. We must make sure that we are in the text field. Numbers, so we'll... space. Numbers. I'm just making I sure don't I'm have in the text, text field. field. There we is... go. Now I can double tap. Whenever you double tap the touch screen, you toggle the insertion point at the top of the file or the end of the file. So if I double tap, Insertion point at start. We're at the start of the file. If I double tap again. Insertion point at end. We're at the end of it. But I'm going to double tap again because I want to be at the start. Insertion point at start of line. I don't have a hope. I am trying to explain this. Now we're going to use the rotor to find text selection. Characters, words, lines, text selection. The important thing to note about the rotor is that once you've chosen the function that you're interested in, Then you flick up and down to make selections within the rotor item that you've chosen. So we're on text selection now. And if I flick down. Word selection. We can select by word. Line selection. Or line. Page selection. Or the whole page. Select all. And select all. Character selection. And then there's character at the top, which is what it defaults to. Word selection. 
I think word selection is fine. Now that I've chosen that I want to select by word, I can flick right to start selecting. Cap I, selected, don't, selected, have, selected, A, selected, hope, selected. Now, what happens if I flick right one more time? Capital I, selected. So one assumes. Cap I, unselected. By flicking left, by the way, I unselected the first letter of the next sentence. So we can glean from this that when you select the word hope, the punctuation is also selected. Sometimes that is not the case in apps like Microsoft Word on Windows, where you have to select the punctuation, particularly the full stop or period at the end of a sentence, separately. Now that we've selected the text, what can we do with it? If we just want to delete the text, then we can press the delete key on the touchscreen and it will go away. If you want to use this text somewhere else, then you can go to the edit rotor options. We can go round and round the rotor. Sounds like a nursery rhyme. And find edit and then select copy to clipboard and you will be able to copy the text for use somewhere else. But I just want to delete this sentence. So I'll find the delete key on the touch screen. Delete. And lift my finger. I don't have a hope. By making that little beep, because that's how I have my voiceover set up and then reading the sentence back, it confirms that that sentence has been deleted. And if we go back into the edit field, text fi- dismiss text field is editing. I am trying to explain this. We just have that other sentence left. I'm trying to explain this. With the text selected, it is also possible to just start typing. And at that point, you will delete what's selected and overwrite it with your replacement. So you also asked about misspelled words. How do we deal with that? The jolly old rotor is our friend again. I know because of the way I've set up my rotor that the quickest way I can get there is to rotate left. Headings. Misspelled words. There we go. If I flick down, it should take me to my first misspelled word. Explain. Selected. Voila. It has actually found that misspelled word and selected the word. So if I want, since it's selected, we now know that selected text means that you can just press the delete key to get rid of the misspelled word altogether. But the most likely scenario is that you want to correct the misspelling. To do that, we flick right and voiceover will speak the suggestions one by one every time we flick right. Explain. It got it right the first time, but are there any others? Explain. No, there's just one. That's really obvious. So I'll just double tap. Explain. Unselected. It did the replacement, unselected the text, and we're ready for the next misspelling. So I can flick down and voiceover makes its noise to say there are actually no other misspellings in the document. Edit. Text field is editing. Let's see if we can get it to speak it back. Dismiss text field is editing. I am trying to explain this. There insertion we go. Insertion point between explain and this. And it tells me position. where the insertion point is as well. I am trying to explain this. We can spend a lot of time on this, but I hope that that is helpful. I know from all my years of training people to use iPhones that the way the insertion point works differently from Windows and other screen readers really is a bit of a brain breaker. And it would be great if in iOS 15, the voiceover team would kindly just give us that option that is in macOS already for voiceover so that those who like it the way it is can keep doing what they're doing without any problem at all. And those who are used to the convention really in the screen reading industry could switch that on if they wish. Do you have dreams that you want to achieve but are scared to do so? Due to self-doubt, fear, 
and other people's criticism? I have just what you need. You need a dose of the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, where I interview guests that will motivate and inspire you to stop at nothing to achieve your dreams. And always remember, if you believe, you can achieve. The Living the Dream with Curveball podcast is available on your favorite podcast app. Jonathan Mosen. Hey guys, Robin here. I am just going to demonstrate how easy it is to reassign the voice control commands that are voiceover specific and that at the moment are quite verbose. So the three I'm thinking of are voiceover select next item and voiceover select previous item and voiceover activate. Those are the three that are voiceover specific and that are a mouthful but it's easy to change them with a slight caveat because there's a bit of a bug at the moment that hasn't been rectified in the latest iOS update. Maybe it will be soon, but at the moment you have to do two steps to the process. So first of all, you can turn on voice control. You can do this with Siri or you can just go into settings, then accessibility, and then go down to voice control and turn it on there. Accessibility, back button. Voice control, heading. Voice control, on. There you go. Voice control is on. So she's listening the whole time. And then you can say, start recording commands. Voice over, next item. Voice control allows you to use your voice to control your iOS device. Learn more. Stop recording commands. Text field is editing. Enter a phrase to speak with this command. Insertion point at start. Hello world. Hello world. Cancel button. New command. Heading. Save button. Save. Okay, Settings. I can talk for a second there because as soon as you finish recording it, it'll ask you for a phrase. And I just said, hello world. And you don't have to do the magic tap to start dictation or anything because the focus was in there. And when voice control is on, she's always listening anyway. So I called it hello world. And the reason why I did that is because I'm going to have to rename it anyway. And this is the bug that we'll talk about in a second. Then I just moved my finger around to find the save button. I could have obviously got there using voice commands, but I just used my finger. So we've now saved that. And you would think if I now say, hello world, it would do it, but it doesn't. And that's where the bug comes in. So if I start flicking down through this screen, voice control, heading, voice control, Voice control allows you to use your voice to control your iOS device. Language, English, United States, customs oh, commands, by the way, button. Language, English, United States, button. For this to work, you have to choose English, United States for custom commands to work. I should have said that at the beginning. Customize commands, button. Customize commands, I want to go into there, double tap. Custom, button. And in here. Voice control, back button. Customize commands, heading. Search, search field. Custom, button. Let's go into custom. Custom, button. Button, right arrow, button, right arrow. And the top one just says button, and I think screen recognition is saying right arrow. This is the one we've just created. If I double tap on that. Double tap to dismiss pop-up window, button. So now we are in the command that we've just created, but that label, hello world, hasn't stuck. If I flick to the right. Done, button. New command, heading, edit, button. Phrase, heading. Enter a phrase to speak with this command. Text field. 
it's empty and I've just tapped on it and I can't edit it. So I have to go back up to the edit button. Phrase, heading, edit button. Double tap. Edit. Save button. Flick to the field. Phrase, heading. Enter a phrase to speak for this command. Text field. Double tap and then I'll say the, the word I want. Swipe. Swipe. Suggested commands. Bullet swipe up. Bullet swipe left. Phrase, heading. Save button. Save. Hit it button. Okay, and then before I said anything else, I went up to the save button and I've saved it. Now, if I go to the top of this page. Customize commands. Back button. Custom swiping. Hit it button. Hit it. I'll explain in a moment. Swipe button. Swipe. There it is. And if I flick again. Swoop button. Swoop. Create new command button. And I've only got three. And the last thing on this screen is create new command. So now I've got swipe which is the same as voiceover select next item. I've got swoop, swoop which I've called voiceover select previous Try item. Voiceover activate. It's actually doing it. Sorry. And I've got hit it, which is to select the current item. It's the same one as voiceover activate. <gasps> I'm saying all these commands. Oop. Double tap to dismiss pop-up window button. Hit it. Customize commands. Back button. There you go. It double tapped that uh, close button by saying that phrase. Okay, let's try. Swipe. Custom heading. Swipe. Hit it button. Swipe. Swipe button. Swoop. Hit it button. It's going backwards now. Swoop. Custom heading. Swoop. Customize commands. Back button. And now we want to activate that. Hit it. And now we've gone back up a level. Voice control. Back button. Yep. Customize commands. Heading. Search. Search field. Custom button. Yeah, we're back up a level now. So those three are my commands for the special voiceover ones. Hope that was uh, understandable. So basically, until that bug is fixed, you need to go into the custom command that you've just created and edit it and give it the name of the command that you want to say to activate that custom command. Thanks, guys. This is Robin signing off. That was golden information, Robin. Golden is what it was. Thank you very much for figuring that out. I can confirm that in the latest 14.5 beta that I have, that problem that you talk about still persists. But using your epic, epic instructions, I've set things up now so that I can just say right to flick right and left to flick left and go to double tap a thing, which is much, much better than voiceover select previous item and voiceover select next item. It's wonderful. It's making me voice control more than I even did before. So thank you so much. Dude, that is news we can use. That's what it is. Greetings, everyone. Dean Martineau calling from Melbourne, Florida, with a couple of comments. Uh, Since I see that you're going to be talking about voice control again, which I'm really happy about, uh, I thought I would make this, ask this question and a couple of questions. How do you uh, make voice control understand that you're going to spell a word? Uh, And I'm looking forward to lots of power user ideas from you on this, but My big problem is I think that uh, this feature needs a more powerful phone than I have, and I've got an SE uh, 2020. It hangs up. I don't get dictation feedback. I have all kinds of problems with it just locking up and hanging up and 
uh, being very unpredictable. So I kind of wonder, and I'm tempted to get, even though I don't like the larger phones, I may very well get, take advantage of a deal I can take advantage of to get a 12 Pro so that I can use this feature because I really want to be able to use it. So I look forward to any thoughts on that subject. Good to hear from you, Dean. To the best of my knowledge, there is no spell mode in iOS voice control. Which, now that I think about it, is a bit of a shortcoming, isn't it? Dragon's had that for ages. It is very handy, particularly when you want to spell unusual names, that kind of thing. And you can try spelling out character by character. Sometimes it sort of works, but it really depends on the context. So I did a bit of Googling to see if I had missed anything. And I see there have been several feature requests to Apple asking for a spelling mode. So to the best of my knowledge, it isn't there. But if anybody has found one, I've tried using various commands like spell mode on and spell this and that kind of thing. And it doesn't seem to work. So I don't think that feature is there yet. I am intrigued by the problem that you are having with your iPhone SE second generation. It does make me wonder if something else is going on there that you might want to talk to Apple Accessibility about. Because the processor in that phone is the A13. So in theory, you should absolutely be rocking your voice control with that A13 processor. I don't know whether you care enough to want to try and maybe restoring from a backup or something like that. But if you can demonstrate the problems to Apple, it might be worth doing that. Because if it's doing it with the A13 in the iPhone SE second generation, the 2020 model, you do run the risk of potentially getting a shiny new phone. And the LiDAR is great. I'm sure you'd enjoy the LiDAR and the Pro only to find that you restore from a backup of your SE 2020 and bring all your problems with you. So there's something odd about this, and I don't know what it is. But if you do figure it out and suddenly voice control behaves, I'm really curious, just because I'm curious about these things, what you do to fix it. Be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large. Opt in to the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show. You can stop receiving emails anytime. To join, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at M-O-S-E-N dot org. Stay in the know with Mosin at Large. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. Rhonda is writing in and says, Hello, Jonathan. Thanks for backing up US leftists in your latest podcast. I have at least two brothers who believe Biden to be a communist. I simply don't understand the U.S. with its overt maudlin religiosity and reliance-slash-dependence on private for-profit arrangements to deliver public services. Indeed, healthcare is most definitely a human right. This idea of, quote, American exceptionalism, unquote, is pernicious, divisive, and not supported by facts and should be assigned to the junk heap of history. Right-wing ideologues rail against government involvement in health care, while even our government is paying nearly 50% of the highest health care costs in the world, for which we are getting poor value and outcomes. I remember one of my college friends saying that if she were blind, she might not be religious either. I immediately replied that blindness has nothing to do with eschewing religion. I have several clergymen friends who support similar human rights and equity positions, 
we simply don't bring God into our conversations. My son got married in 2011 and didn't want God to be evoked during the celebrations. We called upon my friend, the Reverend Donald Fox, to do the ceremony. I was looking forward to my mother and religious in-laws to have a cow because there were no prayers and God talk, but sadly, no one seemed to care or notice. Thanks so much for your review of the new Brilliant displays. I'll be replacing my failing Braille Note Apex with the Brilliant BI40X display, which will provide all the features of a Braille Note that I value and none that are better experienced using phone or tablet. Thanks a bunch for your continuing podcasts. I'll be listening. And that's from Rhonda Starts. Thanks for writing in, Rhonda. There are quite a few things that I could unpack with this one, so I'll have a go at a few of them. I think you're right. I think that there are several routes to the same destination, and not everybody appreciates this. In 1935, our first Labour government was elected. So a left-of-centre government, and the Prime Minister in those days was Michael Joseph Savage, somewhat revered here in New Zealand because, like FDR, he got New Zealand out of the Great Depression, introduced a comprehensive social security system, I guess very similar paths, really. But he made an interesting comment. I mean, he unashamedly called himself a socialist. But he also said that socialism was applied Christianity. And I read that in a biography of Michael Joseph Savage some time ago, and it's always stuck with me and always resonated with me. Because if you espouse Christian values, then presumably you would like to see somebody who is suffering who could have that suffering ameliorated as a result of health care, being given that health care. And that was his argument. If you see people suffering and the government can do something about it, then that is applied Christianity. There is a dignity as well that comes with saying this is actually a right. Health care is a human right. You shouldn't have to go begging for it. You shouldn't have to rely on the philanthropy of somebody if you're sick and you need attention. It should just be what a decent society does. And I feel the same way about blindness rehabilitation, by the way. America is quite interesting because while typically we think of America as more of a hands-off society than many other places, they've got a pretty robust government-funded blindness rehab system over there. It's a really good overall government-funded blindness rehabilitation system. And in many countries, Commonwealth countries like Australia, Canada, Britain, of course, and New Zealand, you have quite a lot of blindness rehabilitation that is funded through charitable donation. And when you start getting charitable donation involved in the provision of essential blindness services, there is the tendency to push the sympathy button to get the money rolling in for the programs that are so desperately needed. It's a constant dilemma, a constant quandary. And yet, If you have good quality government funding for blindness rehabilitation services, then you are investing in the productivity of blind people. It's an investment that you would expect, and I'm I'm taking a right-wing perspective on this, uh, an economically conservative perspective. It's an investment that should pay a dividend, should pay a return, because if you invest in blindness rehabilitation and, for that matter, disability confidence, so that employers are encouraged to employ disabled people, and we dispel the myths surrounding the employment of disabled people, then that investment gets returned by more people paying it back in tax. Makes sense. I've never really understood the right-wing Christian perspective in the United States. 
that seems not to acknowledge this. Healthcare really isn't a very debatable point in most Western countries. There are pretty robust national healthcare systems, some better than others, and some with more robust private choices than others. And it's a kind of a social insurance system when it's working well. So when I'm able and fit and healthy, I pay a lot of tax, and I know that if I ever get into a position where I'm not employed or I'm not healthy, the system is there, and I made my contribution when I was able to make the contribution. The expression has fallen way out of favor in recent decades, but of course it comes back to the idea of from each according to means to each according to need. And fundamentally, I think that is just common human decency. If you're able to make a contribution, then make it while you can. If you ever find yourself in a position where you can't, you will also take solace from the fact that you were able to contribute where you can. And as a society, we're not going to leave you in the lurch. Similarly, on the concept of there being various routes to the same destination, I think you're right. You can have some really great discussions with people who are motivated by religious conviction about social justice. And while you may get to the destination differently, the destination is still the same. And there are people who I've encountered in my life since I stopped being a Christian and became an atheist when I was 18, who feel that you can't possibly be good without God. And I think it's really important to challenge that. The hostility with which atheists are regarded by many people in the United States, I guess, is just another example of the really polluted discourse going on there, where people just can't accept that somebody may be a decent person or have some valid arguments, even when you don't share that viewpoint or accept that argument. There are lines to be drawn, and of course, we're in really difficult times when you have people who lie about an election being stolen and Antifa being involved on the 6th of January. What do you do? with people who just flat out lie like that and distort the truth. That is very difficult. But I'd like to think there is still quite a bit of middle ground to be found on this. And if a religious person finds comfort and solace from practicing their religion, who really are the non-religious to interfere with that? What harm is it doing in that regard? If somebody chooses to go to church on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning or whenever, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't have any bearing on what happens to me. Live and let live is what I say. And you sort of see some of these people like Richard Dawkins, who I used to read quite a bit of, really just antagonizing people. And I suppose it's a progression. When I became an atheist in my late teens, I was like a reformed smoker or somebody who had just discovered the next big amazing thing. And I would get into heated arguments with people and go on and on. And these days, I'm secure enough in my viewpoint, having done a lot of reading and a lot of study, to not feel the need to do that. There are a lot of podcasts in the United States on atheism now, and I think they are largely targeted, understandably, at people in the United States. Some of them are really aggressive. Some of them are more reasoned, but still quite strident. And I think the best in this category is a thing called the thinking atheist The guy behind this podcast, Seth Andrews, is really interesting. He's a former broadcaster on Christian radio. So he's got the radio voice going on. His production values are amazing. 
He used to run a videography business. I think he's now like a full-time professional atheist. He's written a book called Deconverted that is really good that tells his story of how he ended up moving from Christian radio to running an atheist podcast. And he's okay, but I've even stopped listening to that because I just don't feel the need. But those things are there for people who need a bit of encouragement or courage. I actually got a private message last week from somebody who said, thank you for being so open about your atheism because I can't tell my family that that's what I believe. They don't know who I really am because I feel the need to keep the peace. And that is such a shame when people are so fearful of being shunned. And that does take us on to your comment about weddings. That is very tricky when you have people who love each other but have very different worldviews and then you've got families involved. Sometimes it can be that the couple has the same kind of worldviews, but the family expects God to be in a ceremony. Some of the most moving, beautiful ceremonies, both weddings and funerals, that I have attended have been godless because they have focused on the individual or individuals involved. And so they're very personal. They're not just going from some sort of ritual. But that's not exclusive. I've also been to some very beautiful religious services as well, where there have been um, ceremonial aspects that uh, are from the religion in question, but also some really good tributes to the individual. So it can be done well both ways. But finding a middle ground when one of you, if it's a wedding, has a religious perspective and the other does not, that is a challenge, and well done for negotiating it. You should get the peace prize for that. So while I'm all for live and let live, I do think a lot of war has been caused by religion, but I guess if religion wasn't around, we'd be fighting over something else. I do think it's really important that it's not imposed on the non-religious, and of course this takes us back to the prayer in schools issue in the United States, and also to the discussion that we've been having about rideshare and taxi refusals, where there does seem to be an overwhelming consensus that for a well-functioning society, if you take a job and your religious convictions preclude you from doing aspects of that job, then you need to do another job. So we have that precedent quite rightly established. But for example, I used to work for the American Council of the Blind, as many people will remember. And that required me to be there for every minute of general session at ACB conventions. I found it deeply disrespectful that I was required to sit through prayers of various denominations when I was not religious. Because there's nothing to stop those who feel the need to seek the guidance of whoever or whatever they believe in, to seek that guidance privately. They can pray in their hotel room before coming to general session, or they can perhaps bow their heads in quiet prayer before the session starts. Once they're seated, there are all sorts of options. But when you impose a religious ceremony like that in a public gathering that is not of a religious organization, I mean, if you were, if you were streaming the session of a convention of the Episcopalian Church or whatever, well, you would jolly well expect to have a prayer at the beginning. But if you are a blind atheist at a gathering of blind people from all sorts of perspectives and worldviews and denominations, is it really right that this is imposed on you as an employee or a contractor that you must sit through this stuff that's not germane to the business of the organization? 
And I just think that sort of thing is not appropriate. And there's a lot of it about in uh, the United States. It's a lot less common now in New Zealand because people have quite rightly objected to it. I think that that's something that both consumer organizations really need to tackle. Hello, Jonathan. I am Anil. In episode 96 of Mozen at Large podcast, Nick Semarali demonstrated new talkback, which for him came with Android 11. Now, for me, I am using Samsung Galaxy M20, which is currently running on Android 10. But sometime between the 2nd of March or the 3rd of March, I do not remember correctly as I opened my phone, I received Google Talkback that is new version of Google Talkback. The good thing is my phone also has Samsung Voice Assistant screen reader still available for me to use as I am running Android 10. And the capabilities of new Talkback also present except Braille screen input which is for some reason not working for my phone. Also, I would like to tell you that the voice control for Google Talkback is working for me. I will just show you a quick overview. As you can hear, I unlocked my phone. Now I will swipe right. Okay, now I will swipe right, then up. As I am used to angular gestures, I don't know what the multiple gesture command for this enabling voice control is, but for angular gesture, it's uh, swipe right and up. So I'll do that. When you do this swipe right and up, you get this screen which says Now if we swipe right, so I currently had this checkbox checked. If you uncheck it, this message would not come up every time. Cancel button. Cancel. Use voice commands button. Use voice commands. Then swipe right. So we are back to the bottom. Then swipe right. Use voice commands to control talkback. No, we got to the top of the screen. So I'll quickly press the button that that says use voice commands. 
Use voice commands button. Double tap to activate. And I will speak the command read from next item after clicking this button. Read from next item. New continuous reading controls. After selecting read from top or read from next, you can navigate to the previous or next element while the text is being read. This lets you go back to skip ahead of these. Okay, I am using this for first time, so it is saying this. Click always show this message tick box. So Double tap to toggle. Let me keep this checkbox checked. Cancel button. Okay button. Double tap so to activate. Let's say okay. Galaxy store one notification. Gallery. Play store. Folder. Google 45 notifications. Page one of three. Default page. Page two of three. Four. Messages. Four notifications. Camera. So as you can hear, it is started reading from next item. So now I'll try voice control again. I will first just open something. Let's open phone app. Better clock. Gallery. Please phone. Page one. Page two of three. Page three of three. Phone. One notification. Now, every time you want to speak, you have to do that swipe right and up gesture or compatible multiple finger gesture. Use voice commands to control talkback. Here are some things that you can say. Copy. Read from next item. Find safe. Speak faster. Talkback settings. Say help. Press default. Okay. Now, it is saying what I can do. This message is popping up because I kept that checkbox checked. Use voice Use voice button. Double no, tap to click. Uh, sorry, I'll tap use voice commands. Navigate to home. So now you can hear that we are back on home screen. If you want to find any help within that voice commands you can just say swipe right and up or use any multiple gesture compatible for that voice command gesture then select use voice commands then say help it will bring you the help screen and list of all commands thanks very much for taking the time to do that anil it's good to hear that the kinks are being ironed out and that there are people able to use the voice commands function and if I can just offer a gentle reminder for those who are doing demos with text-to-speech, some people may not be used to a particular text-to-speech engine to the extent that they can understand it when it's cranked up at the speed you normally use it. So when we are demonstrating for others, it's a good idea to take it back to a comfortable listening speed for everybody. Hi, Jonathan. It's Peter from Robin Hood County in merry old England. I hope you're all okay especially after that earthquake. What a whopper. Don't have another one of those in a hurry, will you? So who's this mystery reviewer then? Have you found out yet? I think it's somebody that knows you, but I sincerely hope it isn't. So how far off base is our politics? How has it insulted our intelligence? Show me your workings, matey. That's what I want to know. I enjoy all your podcasts, the politics, the tech... Sometimes a religion, but not always. But if I have a cogent argument against religion, I will um, offer it to you. But basically, I'm a pagan and I'm proud of it. I believe in several gods. Tyrannus, Teutates, Mithras, all of those. 
But I would like to thank the uh, religious sect for nicking my festivals and tacking them onto one of your holidays. The politics in this country is a bit grubby at the minute, especially where Europe are involved. They've even upset Australia. That European commissioner could have a fight in a room on his own and beat himself up, or herself, I've forgotten who it is now. Best thing we ever did was leave that bunch of clowns. But at least they're not as bonkers as those two governors in Mississippi and Texas. What planet are they on? Did I hear the news right? They're going to um, lift the Covid restrictions. Well, if there's any of the Mosin at Larges living in Texas or Mississippi, make sure you've got the vinegar bowl out if you live on the border. And if you're planning on any online shopping, make sure it ain't coming from the other state because, you know, you could catch something. Those two people are seriously round the bend. Right couple of knobbers they are, aren't they? Thank you again for the podcasts, especially the Louis Voice one. Just put the whole three hours on, Jonathan, and then we can listen to it all at our leisure. And for those that have listened to it on the Saturday, you can have it all over again. Oh, poor people. Thank you very much, Peter. I think you might be thinking about the European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen. She seems to be in the news quite a bit at the moment. It is really disappointing to see such disregard for the clear science, isn't it, in some of those US states. And I don't know what on earth possesses people to think that it's some sort of badge of honour to disrespect such clear science and put the people who elected you, or that you're at least responsible for, in harm's way like that. It's extraordinarily irresponsible behaviour. Regarding just chucking the whole three hours of Mosin at Large up in one sitting, there is a couple of methodologies to this madness. One is that our podcast host does impose a size limit on our episodes. Now, we can pay more and lift that, and I certainly could do that, but the reason why I do it the way that I do it is that you'll note that the episodes that are separate are sort of featured interviews, and they can stand the test of time a little bit more than the general discussion that we have. So when we do a feature, like, for example, Louis Voice Control, or when Nick is reviewing The Galaxy, or when we do interviews, then I separate those just so that in the archive of episodes, those features are easier to track down and play as individual episodes. And it's a formula that seems to work well with listeners. But thanks for your support, Peter. Very much appreciated. Hello to Kelly Sapurja in Canada, who writes, One thing I'm doing at the moment is researching Braille, with an uppercase B, displays. I bought a Focus 40 Blue 5th generation last year, but must admit that while I enjoy using it, I regret my decision to go with it. When I received it in February 2020, I was very pleased with it. The Braille is crisp, and I like the ability to switch between devices, such as my computer and iPhone. Even the scratch pad is nice. Unfortunately, a few months or so later, I started noticing some problems occurring with the display. Dots 1 or 4 began acting up on various cells. They would refresh slowly, get stuck, or even fail entirely. Gradually, other dots and cells began to fail and I even noticed some ghost dots here and there. Around the same time, I began hearing reports from other Mosin at Large listeners who were experiencing similar issues with the same model of display. I was glad to know I wasn't the only one having problems, 
but also very angry that I didn't know about the focus line for years and had decided after reading several reviews to get one when I needed to replace the display I had been using, a HelpTech, formerly HandyTech, basic braille. Unfortunately, from what I remember, none of the reviews I read mentioned anything about the display's reliability. It finally got to the point where I needed to send the focus away for repair and maintenance. Due to circumstances beyond my control, I had to wait until October to send it to our Canadian dealer. The unit was repaired and returned to me fairly quickly. I was told some cells had been replaced. Things worked fine until January of this year, when I noticed that pretty much the exact same behaviour was occurring again on the cells that had been replaced, with others following soon after. I should mention at this point that I always make sure my hands are clean when I use a brow display, so I couldn't imagine what would make this one misbehave so quickly. As it was still on warranty, I rather reluctantly sent it back to the dealer. It was again repaired, but this time I didn't get any information about what had been fixed or cleaned. When I got the unit back, I was somewhat reluctant to use it this time, thinking it was going to act up again. My fears were realised when, you guessed it, dot four on one of the twice-repaired cells started misbehaving it again earlier this week. This, in my opinion, is utterly ridiculous. My Orbit Reader 20 and other displays I've used in the past have lasted much longer than this. It may still be on warranty, but I'm not going to bother sending the focus away a third time, as I know exactly what's going to happen. When I can afford it, I'd like to get a different 40-cell display. At this point, my only requirement is that it's considerably more reliable than the focus. The thing is, I'm just not sure what model is best to go with these days. I don't want to buy another display and encounter problems so soon after again. Does anyone have any suggestions? Thank you, Kelly. I'm really sorry that you're experiencing that. It's very frustrating. And, you know, if you do still have your orbit, you can, of course, have some Braille to use while you send the thing away. But if you don't, and the focus is your only Braille display, you know, I was in this predicament last year, actually. My focus was doing exactly what yours was doing. Ghost dots. I have had this problem quite a bit with focus braille displays for at least the last couple of generations. And it really got to a point where I was actually reading an email for Mosin at large from somebody who's normally quite articulate. And I was thinking, this person is brailing this email because they're writing Ks where there should be Ls and things. You know, they're, they're misbrailing. You can often see when somebody's making a braille error rather than a typo. But then I realized, well, it's the display. It's my display that's doing it. The dot two's not coming up at all in one cell. But the thing is, you know, I've got presentations to give and this show's very dependent on braille and you sort of have to just soldier on. I did eventually get another loner braille display and was able to send mine back. But I think one of the reasons why you don't hear about these problems is that when people write their reviews, they often do them quite quickly when they've got their device. You know, they might use it for a week or two or three. And at that point, it's okay. But you get a month or two, maybe longer if you're lucky, down the track. And that's where these dots are starting to fail. Now, I should say that there are lots of moving parts in every brow display and you are going to get out of box failures and most brow displays will come with a manual that tells you about cleaning them 
using isopropyl alcohol, that sort of stuff. So there are things that you can do. Just the tiniest little bit of gunge that gets in the display can stop a dot from popping up. But if you've done those things, as I have with focus displays I've owned, and you still get the problems, then the only recourse you have is to send it back. Absolutely send your display back. You've paid good money for it, and you're entitled to a working display. Don't be defeated by this. You know, I know this will be, what, the third time, is it, or fourth, that you've sent it back? But if it's not working, you must send it back and explain what's going on. Include a note with your history of what you've been through. And I would suggest, in your situation, you ask for a new unit. If they've been unable to send you back a working unit twice now, then I believe that is absolutely time to say, please send me a brand new unit in a box, not touched before, and that you've verified is up to appropriate manufacturing standards. I would absolutely do that. As for what device to go with if you don't stick with the focus, well, you're spoiled for choice, aren't you, at the moment? Braille is a really vibrant market, and that gives me great joy. I'm so glad to know there's so much choice in Braille and that it is thriving. If I remember rightly, you're in a reasonably remote part of the world there, so it might be difficult for you to just go somewhere where you can get your hands on a Braille display. And really, that's what you want, isn't it? To get your hands on a Braille display, since you read it with your hands. And people have different preferences, tastes, regarding the feel of the dots, the crispness of the dots, that sort of thing. I'm sure that others will gladly chime in and say what they like about their current Braille display, or perhaps what they wished they had avoided from their current Braille display. On Twitter, follow Mosin at Large for information about the podcast, the latest tech news, and links to things we talk about on the podcast. That's Mosin at Large, all one word, on Twitter. Doug Oliver has written in. Hello, Doug. He says, I wanted to ask if you knew of any resources for learning how to code, as I wanted to code my website for web hosting but I wanted to code in PHP. Okay, so it looks like we're specifically talking about learning how to rock the PHP. I don't know, but I think what I would do in that situation is just do a Google search for PHP. But if anybody has any specific resources, if you have mastered the magic that is PHP, perhaps Gordon Luke is listening. He's our PHP guru here on the Mushroom FM team. And if you have a resource that you have found works particularly well for learning PHP, do share it with us and for Doug. I'm sure he would appreciate that. Michael Pantelidis says, Hi, Jonathan. I think you may get a laugh out of this. I use voiceover on my iPhone and I wanted to learn how to copy and paste bits of text. So I rang Apple Accessibility for some help. After the rep got me to share my screen, he wanted to teach me how to share photos. I explained to him I only wanted to learn how to copy and paste text. He apologized and we started again. He wasn't sure how to do this with voiceover, so he said something like, Well, I can't help you any further, and it's getting towards bedtime, so have a good night. I thought, okay, who can I ask for help? So here I am. Would you please be able to tell me how to copy and paste using voiceover? Once again, you are the go-to man. Oh, no pressure then. Well, uh, Michael, to copy and paste, first of all, of course, you have to determine what it is that you want to copy, and that may vary. There are some places where there is actually no cursor and no easy way to select text. 
one of the tools that I use a lot in voiceover is to copy the last thing that voiceover said to the clipboard. Now, I actually use this in case we get guide dog refusals. <laughs> so when the Uber app tells me when Bonnie and I are traveling the name of the driver and the vehicle they are in, their registration number, all that kind of thing, that's actually in one big chunk of text, handily enough, that voiceover speaks. So I perform this gesture, and that magic gesture is a three-finger quadruple tap. Yep. Four taps with three fingers quickly, and it will tell you that the text is copied to the clipboard. Then you'll need, if you want to store it somewhere safely, to open a document, such as in the Apple Notes app or in Ulysses, which is my tool of choice. And of course, if you have a keyboard connected, you can just press Command V. But if you don't have a keyboard connected, then use your rotor to locate the edit options flick down to paste and double tap and what's on the clipboard will be pasted in there. Now there are some situations, such as an edit field, where you can select specific blocks of text and to do that you'll use your rotor to find the selection menu and then you'll be able to flick up and down to determine how much you select every time you flick right or left. You can choose from regular items like characters, words and lines and then flick right and left, and VoiceOver will confirm all the way what is selected, what is unselected. When you have the text selected that you want, go back to the rotor for the edit options, and choose copy to copy it to the clipboard. You can then paste it somewhere else using the manner described before. So I hope that helps you a little bit, Michael, and that we got it in before bedtime. Hello, Jonathan. This is Bryant here. I wanted to bring up two JAWS issues that I'm having uh, just to see if anyone has an answer to these problems that I'm having. One thing that has been going on for quite some time now, and this is an issue that's forcing me to have to restart JAWS whenever it happens because from what I can see, there's no other there's no other way around around this. What I am having happen is when I use the JAWS find command, uh, whether it be Control F or I think Insert F is the is the other one. Either of these find commands, and this is happening in this happens in Notepad. This happens in I think Word. This happens a lot in web pages, especially when I use this find command and type something in to the find box and hit enter, it brings me to, well, sometimes it'll bring me to the result that it found and sometimes it won't. But what ends up happening is that when I'm taken out of that find box, my jaws goes completely weird. Um, it won't read properly anymore with the up and down arrow keys. Uh, whenever I hit up and down arrow, it'll say blank or it'll read something completely uh, unrelated to the web page, like the applications I have open right now or something. It'll read the it'll read the taskbar or the uh, or the title of the of the window, and it's frankly baffling me because I don't know what could be causing this, and it's something that's been going on for quite a while now. The second issue, this doesn't happen in um, in Word or anything, but it does happen when I'm filling out edit boxes or writing emails. When I navigate word by word, JAWS will repeat 
sometimes repeat the current word I am on two or three times before it repeats the next word. Thanks, Brian. I would definitely suggest giving Freedom Scientific Tech support a call on these. It sounds possibly like it's to do with your screen resolution or some unorthodox theme you have active. The fact that it's happening in those applications that sound like they're not using UI automation or the document object model or anything like that suggests to me it's relating to something visual on the screen. So give them a call, and I think they should be able to help sort this for you. Dave Baker's back. He says, hi, Jonathan. Someone on your podcast asked about reading BRF files in an editor on Windows. This applies to BRM files for those of us who also use Braille Music, BR anything, basically. I'm using JAWS as the example, but I imagine other screen readers have the same settings. Find an editor that works well. Panning works within it, and you don't get list on some other control. Also, it's good if you can just use this editor for reading these files. If you have JAWS, consider HJPAD, a WordPad by a different name, and with extra things you won't see or use. Then you will need to configure your screen reader to do two things. Set Braille with an uppercase B, output to computer Braille, and turn off the 8-dot setting. With JAWS, I use Settings Center from within HJPAD. In HJPAD, I press Insert plus F2, pick Settings Center from the list, and hit Enter. Hit that thing! Now, in the search box, type Output and Braille output will be the first item in the list when you press down arrow or tab. Use the spacebar to cycle the options until it says Computer Braille. Now, we just need to turn off 8.braille because BRF and RM files use those uppercase letters. Press Shift-Tab back to the Edit field and type 8. a space between the number 8 and the word dot. Down arrow or tab to the results list, and you'll see the checkbox is checked by default. Just use the space bar to uncheck it, and start pressing Enter until Settings Center goes away. This is a rare combination of settings, so it makes sense people would not normally think of it. Best of luck, says Dave, with your Braille reading on Windows. Thanks so much for taking the time to offer such detailed instructions on that, Dave, and I'm sure that will help many of our listeners. Monica's Foper asks a very interesting question. She says, I wondered if I would like to let a company or website know about making their site or app accessible, are there any resources I could point them to that could explain web accessibility? Sometimes apps have lots of buttons which are unlabeled, for example. I'd appreciate any input you and the Mosinet Large listeners could provide. Thanks for the great question, Monica. It will depend on whether you are lobbying somebody about a website or an app. If it's an iOS app, for example, I can point people to Apple's accessibility guidelines, which are very good and very clear. I believe Android has similar accessibility guidelines. I'm not as familiar with those anymore because I don't have an Android device right now. And then when you get to the web... Of course, you have the web accessibility guidelines from the World Wide Web Consortium, the W3C. 
So those are things you can point people to. And of course, for some people, it's all a bit too technical. Many people, as has been pointed out in recent discussions, just get a WordPress theme or a Drupal theme or whatever and do their thing. And they don't necessarily know a lot about the ins and outs of how the site's being created, the kind of HTML that is being generated. So I always think it's good to be able to ask a real blind person, preferably somebody who can articulate exactly what's going on. So, for example, if you say, I am a screen reader user and I can't use your app because the buttons in this app or on this website simply say the word button to my screen reader because you haven't included a text description of those buttons. That may be enough for many people to take action. I think this could be a very interesting discussion point. Do you have strategies for advocating constructively on an inaccessible app or website that you would like to share, perhaps success stories? And certainly if we go in all guns blazing on round one and we say, you know, your website sucks and the app is terrible and you're not constructive about it, then obviously you're going to raise people's hackles, aren't you? So I always like to go into these things thinking this person probably wants to help and hasn't been made aware. Now, sometimes you do have to go into round two. The one thing that really does raise my hackles personally is when I get a note back from an app developer in particular who says something like, thank you, we will add that to our list of feature requests. Now, I will normally write back and say, hang on, app accessibility isn't a feature, dude. It's actually a design flaw if your app isn't accessible, and we try and have a bit of a constructive discussion about that. But one thing I really love about the iOS community anyway is that so many apps are put together by one or two person shops, very small. And so when you log a tech support request, quite often you are talking to the developer. And it is amazing how every so often you just strike gold with these people. And even if you approach them about an app that is 100% inaccessible, every so often the light bulb goes on and they go, wow, okay, blind people are using our app. And they try voiceover and they understand what's going on. And some of these people that I've worked with have become the biggest accessibility converts. So if you have any stories to tell about how you personally, as a consumer, approach advocacy on websites and apps that you would like to be accessible, I think that would be a wonderful topic. It is that time of the show where we hear from the famous Bonnie Mosin and the famous Bonnie Bulletin. Hola. Oh, hola. You've been using Thinking Cap Spanish? Sí. Yeah, muy bien. <laughs> You're rocking it with the Thinking Cap Spanish. ¿Cómo está? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. What, what's the Spanish word for dude? I Probably dude. Dude. Andre, okay. Andre? Man, I don't know. Okay, very good, very if good. If anyone would like to tell us, that would be... Now, unique. what about $1.3 million has been um, awarded to a blind person in the United States by a court because Uber was responsible, they say, for, was it 14, I think? Mm -hmm. 14 
Uber refusals. This gladdens my heart. Yeah, because it's of, great you know, to see them being taken to task for it, it. It really is. I mean, it's it's the bane of our existence when we go out. I mean, I have great Uber experiences when I'm on my own. But when you are with me with Eclipse, we get far too many rideshare yeah, refusals. Yeah. And we go through this pantomime where they the way it works here is they take you off the platform temporarily, pending retraining, and then... Once you've been retrained and you certify that you've gone through the retraining, they give you one last chance. So it does differ from market to market. But, you know, there is clearly something wrong with their systems when so many drivers refuse your dog. Well, I think the thing that we don't actually know, and maybe someone does, who's doing the training for these drivers? What kind of training are they getting? Are they getting any? Are they getting any? And that's that's my question, because when I've questioned the taxi companies here, oh, we get trained. Well, I still don't know who does the training. Right. You know, and then they claim there's some drivers that we only have a certain amount of drivers who will take dogs. I'm like, well, no. Yeah, because yeah, and they usually bring up allergy, which is uh, unless it's documented, it's not a reason. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a reason at all in this it's, country, no. to the best of my so, knowledge. But, um, yeah, it's yeah. the question is who's doing the training? Yeah. And yeah. there's no real cut answer about it. And Uber falls back on this excuse, which is of our contractors. Therefore, we are not actually responsible. You know, this is the whole gig economy argument. Mm -hmm. And clearly a court has said, no, you know, you're providing the service. You are responsible for adhering to the ADA. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. Let's let's all get our $1.3 million checks for the nonsense that Uber's put us through. I mean, my personal thing is they should be fired, not allowed back on the platform. End of story. I think that's what happens in the U.S. I believe it's a one-strike policy. But that doesn't, I guess, change the fact that there's clearly a training deficit there. Yeah, definitely a training deficit. Yeah, Yeah. so that's great. And I would just like to remind the person who got the $1.3 million that my birthday is on the (laughs) 24th of this month. And now you've suddenly decided that you're getting into the – because, you know, we're rocking the keto here. And I'm very pleased to say I had this sort of keto plateau thing where I was stuck for ages at, at a reasonably light weight. But my BMI was just hovering above, and now I'm really rocking. My weight is falling off again, which is wonderful. But um, you've suddenly become interested in baking low-carb treats. Yeah, I'm going to attempt one today. Baking is an exact science. With a recipe, you can add a little extra something, and it's not Unless you just really go overboard, it's not going to screw up the recipe that much. Baking, it has to be exact or otherwise you can cause a catastrophe. So if this is, these are no-bake keto cookies, which means that they're very simple. You add the ingredients. You don't have to cook it. You just um, freeze it for 30 minutes to sort of solidify it. And then you keep it in the freezer. Mm. And so I'm going to try this because I figure – you need to start with a very small success. I don't need to go out and make a giant cake the first first time out of the gate. So I'm going to make these little keto cookies. And they have vanilla extract, of course, which you seem to always have vanilla extract in, in baking. And you do have to be careful with vanilla extract because you can go overboard with it. Extractly. Extractly, Extractly. yeah. Um, cocoa, co- unsweetened cocoa powder. Coconut flakes or shredded coconut, peanut butter, lots of peanut butter in keto recipes, uh, mm. keto dessert. And we're cooking a brisket 
That's right. We and were going to have lamb, but we seem to. I mean, I'm not sure what's going we've on got the lamb. five million people in New Zealand, and I think it's like sixty million sheep. But yeah. somehow, none of the sheep have ended up in the shop. <laughs> I think the sheep have ended up the on sheep a sheep ship. The, the sheep, have, ship the sheep, the sheep aren't have, in the shop because they've shipped. They've shipped. Yeah, <laughs> they've the shipped sheep the have sheep. been shipped. They've shipped the sheep. They've shipped the. Sh- <laughs> they shipped the sheep offshore somewhere. I don't. Yeah. So that's why we're well, having the it's, brisket. It's not completely – there is lamb chops and lamb knuckles, and I do just have no, ro- just, we no a shoulders. No, yeah. they've had like these five-kilo legs, and I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> a massive so they need to go low-carb. <laughs> massive sheep, but yeah. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. Here's Greg Austin writing in who says, I hope you can answer a question for me about the read aloud feature in Microsoft Edge. I've learned to use F9 to open Immersive Reader, right click to start read aloud and control plus F2 to get to play controls, which I can navigate with JAWS speaking. Are there shortcut keys for pause and resume reading forward and back? I can't seem to find info on the web. Thanks, Greg. I don't think so, but it's not something I use very much. I guess I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Sometimes I do use Immersive Reader because it's a really quick way in Microsoft Edge to clean up a cluttered web page and just get to the good stuff. So if you use Microsoft Edge, and it's my favorite browser now by a long way, you can press F9 and just clean up on a lot of pages. It doesn't work on every page, but I don't often use the Read Aloud feature. That said... Some of the TTS they have on that read aloud is quite impressive, especially if you're one for human-like speech. But if there are some secret keyboard shortcuts that anybody knows about for the things that Greg is talking about, please do share. I also did a quick search and wasn't able to find anything. Here's an email from Tim who says, Jonathan, in a past podcast, you mentioned two apps you have used. Yeah, I only use two apps, really. Oh, I see. One was called Soundbites which can handle separate groups of small sound effects. The other was an unknown DJ app. I may be more interested because it may use longer cuts, hopefully up to 15 minutes, and group them into particular themes. Please describe further this DJ app and some of its attributes. Well, Tim, it's not really unknown. The app is called DJ So I wasn't just describing the app, I was naming the app. That is spelt D-J-A-Y. I must admit I don't use it as much as I used to. It's made by a company called Algorithm, and they're all over the Apple ecosystem. There are DJ apps for the Mac, for iPhone, and believe it or not, Apple Watch. I haven't played with the Apple Watch app to see what it does. They do seem to understand voiceover and keep their apps accessible. One of the things that I think they've had to drop is their Spotify support, which was super cool when that was working because you could line up tracks from Spotify. Basically, you had this unlimited collection at your fingertips. And the moment you pressed play, when you loaded a track from Spotify into one of the decks, you would get playing and you could do cross-fading and all sorts of cool things. But I believe that API changes at Spotify have caused them to have to flag that support. But I'm looking at the description of DJ from Algorithm. That is spelt, by the way, A-L-G-O-R-I-D-D-I-M. Interesting. It says, introducing 
neural mixment, algorithms revolutionary technology to deconstruct and mix music based on cutting-edge AI, isolate vocals, drums, and instrumentals in real time for the first time ever. DJ transforms your iOS device into a full-featured DJ and music production system. Seamlessly integrated with your music library, DJ allows you to mix your favorite songs and playlists. You can perform live, remix tracks, or enable auto-mix mode to let DJ create a seamless mix for you automatically. Whether you are a professional DJ or a beginner who just loves to play with music, DJ offers you the most intuitive yet powerful DJ experience on any iPad or iPhone. Music Library. My Music. Title Premium. Oh, there you go. SoundCloud Go. Beatport Link. Beat Source Link. Files and more. So no Spotify, but they do have titles. It's just a shame titles got some accessibility issues on some platforms. And the description goes on. So that's the DJ app, DJ AY from Algorithm. Just search for DJ AY. It'll come right up. It's been a while since I had a play with this, so I can't comment on the accessibility. It certainly was good when I last had a play. And isn't it a shame they can't integrate with Apple Music in the same way that they used to with Spotify and that they apparently are now doing with Tidal? Because that would be really sweet. But Tim, I must say, just regarding soundbites, I did not become aware of a limit on the size of the file or the length of the file in that app, which serves a very different purpose. It's essentially kind of like a row of files on the screen that you just tap. It works really well on an iPad because you can just have a series of things. I remember we had background music for our wedding. Did we use it for Heidi and Henry's wedding as well, possibly? Certainly Bonnie and I used it for ours. And you can just tap the thing and it plays a file. And I think some of our files were quite lengthy. For all things Mosin at large, check out the website where you can listen to episodes online, subscribe using your favourite podcast app and contact the show. Just point your browser to podcast.mosin.org. That's podcast.mosen.org. Recently, we featured somebody mentioning that they were having trouble with JAWS and their Braille display make and model unspecified, where they were losing USB connectivity. And I mentioned that I had actually seen this with a Focus 40 Blue. And Leo Ben-Simon is writing in from Israel. He says, hi, Jonathan, I am listening to your podcast and I want to comment regarding the Braille displays issues with JAWS. I use the Polaris Braille display and I have the Smart Beetle, both Braille displays from Hims, and the driver is the same. And maybe it could be a driver issue. I have a Lenovo laptop, an IdeaPad 720. So that's interesting. If you're seeing that kind of droppage as well, then maybe it is something that we need to try and get to the bottom of. I haven't seen it for a while. On my current machines, I am not seeing it. But when I was using a dock at the office, when we went into the office, I was seeing it. Uh, We're going back into a new office soon, so I may well use that same equipment and it could manifest itself again. And if it does with my Mantis this time, because I'm using a Mantis full time now, then maybe I will take some action on that and uh, file some sort of bug and dig a bit deeper. Nice to have a little Hungarian contingent listening to Mosin at large. Zvigtovic is listening in Hungary. I'm so sorry if I've mangled your name. 
who says, I really like your show and I am not the only one here in Hungary. I am part of an email group where I've heard your name and your podcasts. That's really cool. As I remember well, you had a podcast about Markdown in the past. Recently, I found Writage Word add-on for the web. I also noticed your name was familiar to me from the user comments. I hope that was you who commented on it. I don't recall commenting on it, but I certainly have commented on Writage here on the podcast. Unfortunately, I cannot gather your comment as it was in a slide. And when I had a chance to read it, immediately went to the next feedback. I'm not an IT person, but I've never used Markdown before. I just knew this language existed, but never had to use it before. My vision loss came, and this topic got more interesting to me. As you have more experience in the language and the web communities, you may know the answer to my question. What is the best tool for markdown editing that contains the following features? Oh, we've got a list. The first one, accessibility for visually impaired people. Easy to navigate and use inside the tool, like in Office applications. Preview mode, where we can see the source code and markdown. Writage does not have this feature. Languages support and proofing support, like in Office. Keyboard shortcuts support for markdown format. Simple HTML Word PDF export. I know there are a number of dedicated markdown editors, but not all are accessible. Also, there are a number of Visual Studio Code or Atom markdown extensions, but it isn't easy to use these for a non-IT person, and they have little features. So I am very interested that you use this Writage Word add-on or you use any other tool to update your website or create simple documents. Many thanks for your help. And it's actually signed, now that I get to the bottom of this, Gabor, which is much easier to say. So good to hear from you. I think Writage meets all of your requirements. So for those who aren't familiar, who weren't listening then when we covered this, Writage is an extension that you can install into Microsoft Word, and essentially it adds the ability to open Markdown documents, and when you go to the Save As dialog, you can save documents as Markdown as well. Now, you are absolutely right that there is no key that you can press where you can view the Markdown source, but given how accessible Writage is, because you can use all the Microsoft Office features that you're used to, And I think based on your list there, that's really what you want. All you need to do is save the file in Markdown format. And then when you want to view the source, just open it in Notepad or some other plain text editor, which exposes the Markdown code. And then you will be able to see it there. So I think Writage is perfect for your use case. In terms of updating my website, what I actually do there is write my material in Microsoft Word and do a copy and paste because WordPress has done an excellent job of converting from pasting in a Word document to HTML. It does a really nice job of this. It preserves headings. It preserves hyperlinks. So I do my composition in Word and then do a good old copy and paste, and that works really well for me. Best of luck. I think writage will suit your purposes very well. Pater is writing it again. He says, Dear Jonathan, First of all, thank you for answering my questions concerning Amazon Echo Dot. 
I have to admit that I was not patient enough to wait for your reaction, and I jumped on the soup drinker train. I don't blame you, Peter, because we have been quite backlogged. I must say, we're not as backlogged as we were. So if people have been holding back on comments, get those comments in. Otherwise, we don't have a show in the normal way. So we're catching up. Anyway, I'm glad you got your echoes. And he continues. What mattered most in my decision about buying or not the smart speaker was if the soup drinker understands the name of a Hungarian radio station. This talk radio was silenced by Hungary's far-right government on FM and can continue to broadcast only on the internet. Of course, I can listen to the station via my smartphone, but since I keep that device shut down most of the time, it is not a convenient way. Much more simple is to ask the soup drinker to play that radio station. After two weeks of investigation, it was clear that the soup drinker understands the name of Club, oh my gosh, a Club Radio, but only if the first word is spelled. Yeah, because they probably think it, because it's Club with a K, so they, they probably think it's a US call sign. <laughs> it is acceptable for me, so I placed my order for an Amazon Echo Dot third generation. Since it's been in my flat, it is the only device I use for listening to the radio. It plays Mushroom FM perfectly. Setting it up, as you described in the podcast, did not require sighted help. The configuration, in my case, is only possible via lix.amazon.com because the Soup Drinker app cannot be installed on my mobile. The minimum requirement is Android 6, and I only have 5.1. I always feel extremely frustrated when I should throw away an otherwise perfectly functional device just to be able to install a software which has no support for older operating systems. So I won't leave my good old Samsung Galaxy J3 while it works. I like my Echo Dot a lot. The soup drinker smoothly understands my commands. I use it in English and French. Strangely, Soup Drinker doesn't understand the word Mosin. I can only play Mosin at large by spelling your name. I pronounce it the same as you do, as much as I can. Does your Soup Drinker understand your name? Another small inconvenience is that even if I registered Skype into my Amazon, I cannot make Soup Drinker to start any Skype call. She says... She doesn't see my contacts. I found out that Amazon does not support Skype calls from Hungary, but this information is only available on Skype's homepage. When setting up the Echo Dot, you expect to use Skype after the registration is done. Special thanks for the Accessibility episode. I'm quite pessimistic in that area. I'm convinced that these solutions will spread as wildfire and in a few years' time, accessible web for us will be a vanishing memory. When a blind citizen or even an NGO dealing with the rights of disabled people and a wealthy company collide, guess who is the loser? 
Well, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think some of these consumer organizations and accessibility voices do have a lot of clout, but you may be right, Peyton. We'll just have to see what happens. All the best to you in Hungary. To answer your question about listening to the podcast on your soup drinker, this gives me a chance to demonstrate how I do it, which is foolproof. And sometimes people write to me to say exactly what you have said, and I show them this trick, and it seems to work. For example, if I say, soup drinker, play Mosin at Large podcast. Sorry, I don't know that one. Yeah. But you can ask me to recommend no. a podcast. No, no, I, I know what one I want. But this works for me every time. You watch, it's going to fail for the first time ever. But soup drinker, play the podcast Mosin at Large. Here's Mosin at Large from Apple Podcasts. Wow, look at Playing that. Playing the latest episode. Is and, there and, such a thing as blind culture? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, hi, it's Jonathan Soup drinker. Welcome. Stop. So there you go. If you say to it, play the podcast Mosin at Large, it works for me every single time. To contribute to Mosin at Large, you can email Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com by writing something down or attaching an audio file. Or you can call our listener line. It's a U.S. number, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin!